0: Thank you again for allowing us to come and, and be with you and uh, putting up with us to, to teach you. This is something that is unusual even in churches today. Most churches, they don't, they don't do this. Uh, it's, it's new to us even as pastors to go out and teach. You guys are really the first church that we've ever uh, been invited to do this for. And so we were excited about that, and thankful for that. And uh, for me, I'm a detailed person. Okay, I work in IT, so I, I, I'm like, oh wait, well we've never done that. So, you know, I got to spend weeks and weeks and researching. You know, uh, and he's he's more of a, you know, he can he can just flow right through it. Um, For me, it takes me a little while because I want to be just precise, right? Um, To tell you a little bit about us, Wade alluded to that last night, about a little bit about us growing up. Uh, I was born, we were born in Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And uh, we were surrounded in a house of music. Um, My mom was from Alabama, dad Tennessee. We ended up in Georgia, but music was always part of their households, our household. Um, I was probably younger than eight. I know I was, I mean, I was singing ever since I could walk, okay? My mama had a piano in the house and she couldn't play very well, but she would play enough that we could sing along with it. Um, And singing became a passion in the house, it was it was a pastime, right? Today when you get in the car and you're traveling as a family, what do the kids have? What, is it, what do the adults have? They have a phone or they have a iPad or they have a DVD player or something like that. We didn't have any of that growing up. We had voices and we would sing. And whatever was on the radio, it was country music, gospel music. Didn't matter. We were singing it, okay. And then we'd turn it off, and then we'd try to harmonize, and we we thought that was just the coolest thing, you know. Growing up because that was present in our household. Um, uh, my parents really saw that we had that gift to to sing, and they really pushed us in that arena. I got saved at the age of eight years old. Uh, We were in church faithfully. I cannot remember a time when we were not in church, ever, uh, in our life. And I'm so thankful for that. But as soon as I got active in church, I began to sing. Even at eight, nine years old, I was singing in church. I was singing solos in church. Um, Back then, gospel music, quartet gospel music was was pretty big right? right Cathedral Quartet anybody heard of the Cathedral Quartet so my parents took us to a place called the Joyful Noise in Little Rock it was a Christian why did I say Little Rock Atlanta thank you yeah everybody's like I've never heard of that yeah yeah hey it was in in Atlanta and it was a Christian dinner club Christian club. So you would go in, you would pay like 50 bucks. It included your meal and you got a concert. And it probably held maybe a couple of hundred people at the most. Your tables were like right here. The stage was right there. We had never been before. And we we went and the Cathedral Quartet was singing that night. And I mean... It lit me up, lit him up. We were just, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, we were so ecstatic. We wanted to be the cathedral quartet, you know. And if you and if you didn't grow up in that area or that uh, genre, you don't really understand what I'm talking about. But it was four part harmony, a um, lot of different rhythms going on. At different times, Um, they could just flat out do something a cappella right off their bat. They were so talented. And uh, they became a lot of our heroes, right, from our perspective. We just followed them all our lives. I don't know how many number one songs they had, but it was just remarkable. And we fell in love with music. We continued singing in church. But the music that I was singing, and the, the music that I was singing, nothing wrong with it. But my mindset for singing was on performance. Does that make sense? Okay, I, I grew up wanting to perform. Right, I was young. I, I I saw the cathedrals. I wanted to, and this is what I want to do. This is my dream. I want to sing professionally. Right. So anytime I had an opportunity to sing in church, I did. Um, I, I was gifted in that area. I'm very thankful for that. I later joined the Atlanta Boys Choir, sang for two years there. Y'all are like, yeah, what's that? I mean, they sang for like high dignities in Europe and Italy, and it was owned by some high people in Italy and. They would sing overseas and would sing in these great cathedrals. And there I was introduced to serious music theory, you know. Uh, For me, it was beautiful, but it also, the music theory part just sucked the joy out of it for me. Like, this is work. Um, And so moved on from that, sang all through choir, continued to sing in church. We have a, uh, we had a group, um, Wade's wife, Amanda, sings as well, fabulous singer, and we sang for 20 years, made five, six CDs during that time. We knew how to sing well, and we knew how to perform it well, okay? And all of that is great if you're putting on a concert. Okay? So, can I, can I say this? I, and I, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings this morning, right? But I'm going to be straight with you. I know as a singer and performing, even up here, as, as spiritual as I might be, when I'm trying to sing a song to the congregation, I'm thinking in my mind, i got to be as good as I was last time. I can't mess up. i got a standard. i got to perform just right. Okay? I got to make the people feel something. Okay? And that was my drive. But when it comes to worship, when it comes to a congregational time where we come in and gather together, it's not about individuals. It's not about a subset of the congregation. It's about all of us uniting as one for a single purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay? A lot of things that we've, that's happened, well I did go to Nashville, I told Wade, he mentioned it last night, I went to Nashville in 93, 94, somewhere around there, wanting to make it big, right? That was my dream, I was pursuing my dream. And I saw some stuff there that I got exposed to behind stage. I was up behind stage at Grand Ole Opry every every weekend. And I saw these artists that I thought, even Christian artists, that I thought were, man, up here. And I saw the most vile and vulgar things. This is behind Grand Ole Opry stage, right? And my heart, I couldn't be the part of this. Lord just would not let me pursue that anymore. And I'm thankful for that. And ever since then, I've been serving him in church and in the capacity of leading music, teaching, preaching. Um, And I'm thankful because he he took me down this path. He got me where he needs me. And I'm thankful for that. Okay? And so, um, I said all that to say this, is that Sometimes when we come into our worship service and we sing, and there's several elements of, of worship, okay? And singing is one of them. Singing, preaching, praying, uh, reading scripture, okay? Lord's Supper is an element of worship, okay? Uh, baptism is but like Wade said yesterday, we really don't put a lot of emphasis on the singing portion of it. A lot of our churches today are performance driven. I like to say it like this, that we've moved the church to uh, to spectators in the seats to what's going on to the stage instead of participators. So that's what, and people go to church, they seek, that. Well, and y'all just don't have a great great music program. I mean, this is just not I'm not feeling it here. And and for a smaller church, it's it's difficult. I hear it all the time, I see it all the time. And y'all just need to y'all need to do this, y'all need to do that. A couple of years ago, we started pulling back from our singing personally in church. Singing solos, duets, trios, quartets, whatever. And we started pulling that back. And it was like instant, three weeks. Hey, when are you going to sing again? Hey, when when are y'all going to sing? I just just like to hear y'all sing. Well, we'll put on a concert. And y'all can come out and hear us sing. But from a worship perspective, we're here together to worship. And it's not about me. Okay? Because I know me. I'm nothing but flesh. And if you think that I can't stand up before you and sing and then hear that applause when I walk down and not feel, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Do you think that's honoring God in this service? So this morning, uh, and, and we had a a lady last night that mentioned something about singing, what's the purpose of singing. And so I want to touch on that today. Um. We as a church, we have there's a purpose, there's a reason why we sing, okay. And I'm praying this morning that you'll receive what I'm telling you, and I want us to glean something uh, through our scriptures. And so I want to, I'm going to hone it in to say that we're going to talk about how we should sing. And I'm not talking about the physical aspects. We'll maybe talk a little bit about that later today but how we should sing in a congregational worship setting, in the confines of a holy worship, okay? If you will, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. <clears throat> and, I, and I have on that sheet, the Scripture is there that I'm using. 1 Corinthians Chapter 14 and verse 15 says What is the conclusion then I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding He goes on to say though I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. My first point is this: we must sing when we're singing in church and worship in the confines of worship. We must sing with understanding. We must sing with understanding. Wade said it last night, and we have not shared notes or anything with each other. He didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what he. I mean, we kind of knew the gist, but we didn't know verses. Things of that nature. But he hit that. We would have we'll have Bible studies on prayer. We'll have Bible studies on you know uh, how to study your Bible, right? But we don't have a, a, a Bible study, or we don't pay a lot of attention to singing. But here Paul's very deliberate. He says, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. He's instructing us here. He says our singing should be accompanied by understanding. And if you're you're filling the blank on the worksheet there, listen to this. We can sing with understanding by engaging our minds in worship. Engaging our minds in worship. In other words, here's another deal on your worksheet we are not to be singing mindlessly, but with a clear comprehension of the words and their significance. It's very important. Very important. And this verse underscores the idea that our worship, especially in song, should engage both the heart and what? The mind. Singing with understanding implies a conscious awareness of the lyrics and their meaning as well as a connection with the message that's being conveyed through that song. Listen, the, the Corinthian church faced challenges. Paul's talking to them and they had challenges and with disorderly worship. And Paul sought to bring clarity to the purpose of their worship. And that includes singing. He honed in on that. Mindless, listen, mindless repetition or emotional expression alone is insufficient. Mm-mm. True worship requires a thoughtful, engagement with the words that are being sung. When we sing with understanding, it deepens our spiritual connection and that fosters a more profound relationship with God. Okay? So, the biblical perspective on singing encourages us as believers to actively reflect on the words that you and I are proclaiming in our worship. Think about it. Think about what we're singing. Singing with understanding promotes a worship environment where every word uttered is intentional and it holds significance. Okay? And that should encourage us. That should encourage us. We we joked last night because we were going over the definition of bulwark. Right? And it was funny. If you were here, you would understand, you know what we're talking about, right? But it should encourage us as believers to be educated in the word of God. Why? Why? To ensure that our our songs align with those biblical truths. Amen. Engaging our minds while singing guards against shallow expressions. Worship. You say, What do you mean by by shallow? Well, I mean just a basic lyric and singing that through a lot of times, and you're not just you're just not engaging the mind, it's not provoking any thought process into what you're seeing. As we sing with understanding, listen, we, we participate in an element of worship that is edifying not only to ourselves, and if there's a blank there on your worksheet, but to the entire congregation. We're not here for me. We're not here for you. We're here for each other. And we're singing to each other. And we're engaging our minds and teaching each other. And we have to approach worship with a thoughtful and discerning spirit. Engaging your mind in worship seeks a balance between that heartfelt expression and a mindful connection to the truth of the Word of God. Okay? So ultimately, singing with, uh, with understanding is a key aspect of worship that brings glory to God. How? by aligning our hearts and our minds okay, to the eternal truths of the Word. It's all about His Word. Everything we do in worship, the purpose of the church, and I preached a sermon on this not too long ago to our church, the purpose of the church is to glorify God. It's that simple. That simple. It's worship, Discipleship, make more disciples. Worship, discipleship, make more disciples. It's real simple. All of which glorifies God. John Calvin emphasizes the importance of engaging the mind in worship. He says, the mind of a man must be persuaded that all things proceed from God and must refer to all things to Him and ascribe them to Him. That means you're singing and what you're singing is very important. It is very, very important. You look at Psalm chapter 47. Psalm chapter uh, 47 and verse 7. says, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. Look, this is a scriptural foundation here for understanding the significance of having comprehension during the singing and worship. The verse emphasizes the command to sing praises to God with understanding, highlighting the importance of cognitive engagement during the singing element of worship. God's Word is adamant about this. Singing in worship isn't solely about vocal expression, but it's also about comprehending the meaning and significance of what's being sung. Believers' praise is not just some melodious aspect, but also rooted in a genuine understanding of God's character, His his deeds. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Just trying to give you Scripture, right? Trying to give you just plain Bible. Here's what the Bible is saying about how you should sing, why you should do this. Colossians 3.16, "...let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom." teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This verse underscores the importance of understanding when we're singing in worship. Filling in the next blank here, it says this verse instructs believers to let The message of Christ dwell among them richly as they teach, admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And Wade mentioned last night, we were talking about this this particular verse and, and other verses where it's mentioned psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so, obviously, when we're talking about, when the verse here is talking about Psalms, we're talking about Psalms in the Bible. Okay? How many churches do you know sing Psalms? I I haven't been in one. But the Bible is clear about singing it. But we don't do it. Listen. Psalms is, has so much structure. It's so balanced across what, what we need as believers. The uh, adoration of God. Repentance is there in Psalms. These are serious doctrines, serious things that we should have in our worship. The Bible instructs us to do it, but it's not done. It's been lost over time. Hymns, do you think that they were bringing out the Baptist hymnal when Paul was. No. Uh-uh. Hymns is referring to, if you study that out, in the Roman day, hymns was constructed as some anthems that they would do, ceremonial songs. They were very structured in a melody, and they were called hymns. So Paul is saying something that they can relate to, hymns, right? It wasn't the hymns that we have, but we do have, our hymns are structured. Somebody, a gentleman last night said, you know, the hymns are pretty easy to sing because once you get through the verse and the chorus, it's pretty much the same. Yes, because it's designed for the entire congregation to participate and not be hard, right? Right? it's something that we all can do together and do it well and the hymns should project good things of understanding deep things of understanding and then it uses the word spiritual songs okay spiritual songs are important okay what i what i glean from scripture on that is that spiritual songs is something that is more personal very personal to me. It's it's really something that, that we both can relate to. It is well with my soul. How many of you know the story behind it is well with my soul? Okay, a few of you do. Horatio Spafford, right, had his family there in Chicago. The great Chicago fire happened. His family, he'd sent his family off to overseas while he dealt with business there in Chicago. And on their travel overseas, the ship sank, and he lost his wife and children. And later on, he finally was able to make that journey, and he stopped at the very spot that that ship had sank, and he began to write these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I gonna tell you, that's personal. That's a spiritual song, okay? And there's many like that. We're going to sing one later. Oh, how he loves you and me. Everybody knows that song. Oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how He loves you and me. Right? He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you. Look, I'm admonishing one another. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves you and me. That's Personal. Personal. And it's different from something like holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty where we're singing and ascribing directly to Him. Okay, so there's, there's a difference there that we're talking about. Singing in worship is not merely about the melody but about conveying the message of Christ with clarity and comprehension. Uh, Singing in worship is not merely about the melody as it is about conveying the message of Christ with clarity and comprehension. Paul is instructing that we are to approach singing in worship with a desire a desire for understanding. Allowing the Word of God to dwell richly in our hearts as we express gratitude and praise in song. Jonathan Edwards encourages us to seek a deeper understanding. He says this, It becomes us to be extremely cautious that we do not content ourselves with a superficial knowledge of religion. Superficial knowledge of religion. So, number one, we must sing with understanding, we must engage the mind in worship. Number two, we must sing with gratitude. We must sing with gratitude. Specifically, a heart of thankfulness. A heart of thankfulness. Let's look at Psalm 100, Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise, be thankful to Him and bless your name, His name. Thankful to Him and bless His name. Our singing, in your worksheet here, our singing should be an expression of gratitude for the grace and mercy bestowed upon us by our loving God. The Scripture here emphasizes the importance of cultivating a heart of thankfulness and that's urging the believers to enter into God's presence with gratitude. How many times have I seen as a pastor come in and people come into church and I'll say, hey how are you doing? They'll say, living the dream. You know? Just hunky-dory. Doing great, I guess. Boy, aren't you ready for worship today. You know? And I know sometimes that we have hardships right in life and life takes us and sometimes, you know, what's going on in the car trying to get to church is not what we You know, we're like... And then we get out of the car. Hey, how are y'all? You know? And y'all doing good? Yes. Oh, we've had a blessed day. Yeah. We know. We know. Right? But listen, teaching... uh, Thankfulness is not merely an outward expression. But a condition of the heart. It's something that we should have in our heart. It's encouraging us as believers to approach God with hearts filled with gratitude for His goodness, His faithfulness, right? I I, I often think about how blessed that we are that we actually live in a country where we get to just wake up, come to church anytime we want to, worship freely, Okay. People across the world don't have that. We take it for granted. I'm so thankful, God, that I can come to your house and worship you on Sunday. Literally. A heart of thankfulness acknowledges God as the source of all blessings. If you're filling out your your next note there is, A heart of thankfulness recognizes that every good and perfect gift comes from above. As mentioned in James chapter 1 and verse 17. We are to reflect on the countless blessings bestowed upon us despite our shortcomings. I don't deserve the blessings God has given me. Yeah. You don't deserve those. We deserve, if we got what we deserved, we'd be in a hot hell today. I'm so thankful that I have that. Thankfulness fosters a deeper connection with God. It promotes a positive and appreciative attitude, right? Even in the midst of the challenges, that we may be going through. Somebody sitting next to you may be going through a hard time and you don't even know it. I've known people who are going through some tough times and I can look down there and sing, see them singing and tears just rolling down their face because they're still thanking God even through the hard times that they're going through. Amen. And you want to talk about. Something that'll a charge a pastor up, knowing that something that person is going through and they're still able to sing with thanksgiving in their heart and gratitude in the midst of the trials and look over and know that so and so over there is living high on the hog and nothing to worry about and not singing a lick. It's a heart thing, it's a heart condition. Thankfulness is an integral aspect of worship. It's influencing the way that believers approach God in prayer. It's in praise and adoration, which is our deep love and our respect towards God. It goes, it challenges us as believers to go beyond asking for blessings, right? God, can you just give me this? God... It goes beyond that. And instead, we approach God with a heart that appreciates and acknowledges the blessings that we've already received. Lord, if I don't receive another blessing from You, I'm so thankful for what You did give me. The next thing in your worksheet, thankfulness promotes humility. Acknowledging that we are dependent upon His grace and provision. Now that's a word that you don't see much today. Humility. Humility. We are challenged as believers to maintain a constant or continuous attitude of gratitude. Not just during the moments of abundance like we said, but in every season of life every season as mentioned in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 it says in everything give what thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you going through a hard time god's chastening you God's molding you. Be thankful. Thank You, Lord. I don't know what You're trying to teach me, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to to praise You for it. Further, demonstrating God's sovereignty, His perfect plan for our lives. Look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107 and verse 22 Psalm 107 in verse 22. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Singing praises to God not only lifts the Spirit, but also serves as a tangible expression of thankfulness for His unfailing love and His miraculous work. Through song, believers can recount and celebrate the specific ways God has intervened in their lives. And this strengthens our faith and is a witness to others to trust in His faithfulness. You take that lady that I was talking about singing, knowing she's going through a hard time and she's crying and But she's able to sing and thank God for that and the person next to him may know that that person's going through that. And you talk about a humble, humbling experience. This is the admonishing. This is the edifying one another in congregational singing. Whew. Sister so-and-so is up there singing. Boy, how selfish am I. I know that they're going through some things. And they can still sing. Psalm, just as a psalmist in Psalm 107 recounts the deliverance of the Lord with thanksgiving, believers are encouraged to use music as a vehicle to proclaim God's mighty deeds and give Him the glory He deserves. It was created for us to worship Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5, starting in verse 19. Again, we see this mentioned. Speaking to one another. To one another. If I'm singing to you from the stage, but you're not singing back to me, we're not speaking to one another, I'm speaking to you. Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we see that singing is presented as a vital aspect of Christian worship. It's allowing believers to lift their voices in thanksgiving and praise. It's Uniting our hearts in adoration of God. Now listen, through the act of singing, believers engage not only their voices, but also their emotions. Okay, Offering a holistic expression of gratitude to God. Listen, singing in worship is not intended to reflect what I call robotic worship. A mighty fortress is our God. Da, 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 da. Well, that was inspiring. Okay. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Wow, that was expressionable. You convinced me that. <laughs> That He loves you. Okay? There is expression in our singing. Right? A mighty fortress is our God of the work never failing. There should be expression in there. Dynamics in the voice. Right? Now, now, We're not here to out-sing one another, okay? Some of us can sing better than others. That's okay. We're not here to sing louder than the guy next to us, okay? But we're here to lift each other up in voice and mention that verse mentions making melody in the heart. I'm not concerned as a worship, leading worship, that I hear four-part harmony out of the congregation. If you've ever been in a worship service where you've the room is filled and all the people are singing, the key to a blend in harmony for any group, whether it's two people or 3,000 people, the key to make that work is a strong melody. You take the strong melody out and it's horrible. It's horrible. People that can naturally sing, hear the harmonies, and sing the harmonies are going to add to that anyway. Focus on the melody. I'm telling you this, this morning to be more uh, intentional about a strong melody. There are going to be those that can add some harmonies. And that's going to add to it. But without that melody, it's all going to get lost. I have people in church that are trying to sing parts, right? And then they say, uh, I'll let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell them all about our troubles. Well, and we got people that can do that. It may be about three. Okay? And everybody's going, let us have a little talk with Jesus. And everybody's going, what are they doing? And they're looking over there. Hey, Don't take away from the singing. Sing the melody. Sing with each other. Right? So, um, John Owen says this. He says, a person on thankfulness in our worship, a person who is not thankful has replaced their worship of God with idolatry. Think about that. We must sing with understanding. We must sing with gratitude. Having a heart of thankfulness. An expression, expressing that gratitude through song. Having a vocal expression about it. Number three. Number three. We must sing with... With awe and reverence. Awe and reverence. Wade touched on this a little bit last night. He hit this verse, I think. He just maybe quoted that. But Psalm chapter 33 and verse 8. Psalm 33 and verse 8. As we gather to worship a holy God with our singing we should be very aware on how we are approaching Him. We should approach the God of the universe with awe and reverence. Our singing should reflect the awe-inspiring nature of the One we worship. Psalm thirty-three, eight says, "Let all the earth fear the Lord; let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him." The Scripture emphasizes the importance of approaching God with awe and, and reverence, acknowledging His divine majesty and His authority. Listen, we're encouraged as believers to recognize the greatness of God. Understanding that He is the Creator of the universe and deserving of our utmost respect. Following along in in your notes, approaching God with awe means that there is a Rever- rever- reverential reverential respect mingled with fear and wonder fear and wonder we are in, when we come in this worship we are humbling ourselves before him in acknowledgement of his supreme power Reverence in our approach to God involves a deep and profound respect. It's understanding that He is not only the loving Father, but also the almighty ruler of all creation. In your notes again, awe and reverence create a sacred Atmosphere in our worship. This is special. There's no room for me. There's no room for I, you. This is a special time for Him. This is all about Him. All about Him. Reminding us that God is not to be taken lightly but rather approached with a full heart, a heart full of humility and adoration for who He is. Listen, when we approach God with awe and reverence, it sets the foundation for a genuine and meaningful relationship with Him built on a deep understanding of His character. I've said this to people and they're like, I can't believe you. I don't understand what you just said. I can go to a church, and I can walk in their worship, and how they conduct their worship, I can tell you what their view of God is. Oh, you worship a nonchalant God. How many of you seen the commercials? He's just like us. He gets us. That's what it is. He gets us. Y'all seen those commercials, Tony? I mean, He's just like us, right? I mean, He's this, He's that. No, He's not like us. He is nothing like us. He is the Creator. We are the created. He is holy. We are not. We approach Him in reverence, awe and reverence. And it sets the foundation for that meaningful relationship with Him. Psalm 33.8 teaches us, that our approach to God should be marked by a sense of wonder and respect. It is recognizing His infinite wisdom and righteousness. Awe and reverence cultivate a spirit of gratitude within us. As we come to God with a thankful heart for His grace, His mercy, And the privilege of being in His presence. Do you realize that you get to come and worship the Holy God that morning? Sunday morning. Wow! Our worship becomes more than just a routine or a ritual when we approach God with awe. It becomes a heartfelt expression of love and devotion to the One who is worthy of our praise. John Piper encourages a heart of reverence and worship. He says this, The essence of worship is to feel and to think and to speak and to act in a way that reflects the infinite worth of God. Look at Psalm 89 and verse 7. Psalm 89 and verse 7. God, here's this word again, is greatly to be what? Feared. In the assembly of the who? Saints. And to be held in what? Reverence by all those around Him. we see the significance of reverent worship. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. And that verse is simply implying that when believers gather in worship, there is a divine expectation for a deep reverence and awe towards God for His holiness and for His majesty. Look, if you were to approach the king, if you were to go to England and approach King was it Charles? King Charles, okay you wouldn't just walk into that palace of the king and your flip-flops and and, and and just nonchalant, right? Just, you're just nonchalant. You, you're just irreverent. is what that is. This is the king. We're not talking about the earthly king. We're talking about the king of kings. Our reverent attitude, we should should reflect that in our worship. In your worksheet, the assembly of the saints, the community of believers, again, is a sacred space where God's presence should be honored with profound respect and esteem. Reverent worship, as highlighted in that verse, goes beyond mere rituals. Okay, It involves a sincere acknowledgement of God's greatness and a heart that is attuned to His glory. Approaching God with awe is not just a personal matter, but it is a communal expression of devotion creating a collective atmosphere of holiness and divine reverence in the assembly of the saints we are all to be in awe and reverence together look at Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse 28 Therefore since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us have grace by which we may serve God what with what and godly fear That verse serves as a powerful scriptural basis for understanding the essence of reverent worship. Declaring, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And that should inspire us with gratitude that should manifest in worship marked by reverence and awe. Next in your worksheet, our worship is acceptable when it flows from a heart that acknowledges Him with reverence and godly fear. This is serious business. It is. A response to the awe-inspiring reality of belonging to a kingdom established by the unchanging and sovereign God. The Scriptures are plainly spoken here. Can anybody be confused on that? No. It's plainly spoken. We are to approach worship with a profound sense of reverence. Now listen. Listen. If the Scripture means, says, and is deliberate, it says there is acceptable worship, then there's also unacceptable worship. This is foreign in today's churches. These verses don't exist in today's churches. We are to approach worship with a profound sense of reverence. Recognizing that our God is a consuming fire. Inviting us to engage in worship that reflects the purity and the awe of His divine presence. I like what A.W. Tozer said about this. Approaching God with reverence. He says, the heaviest obligation Lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him. I have to think that sometimes God may look down at the worship and have to turn His head at what goes on in a lot of churches today well, you're just a fuddy dud. No. I just know who God is. He's holy. Holy, reverent. I should be on my knees. I'm not worthy of Him. We must sing with understanding. We must sing with gratitude. We must sing with awe and reverence. And we must... Sing with unity. With unity. Our singing should contribute to the unity of the body of Christ. It's very important. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. This is my last point. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. says, And let the peace of God Rule in whose heart? Your hearts. To which also who? You were called in how many bodies? One body. And be what? There's that word. Thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And here it is again. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Apostle Paul is emphasizing here the importance of fostering unity among the believers through song in worship. He's urging Christians to let the peace of God rule in their hearts and that's serving as a unifying force in their gatherings. in your workbook, the act of singing together not only expresses individual praise, but also creates a communal bond among worshipers. We are here for the same purpose, doing the same thing, to the one God. We are one body. Through the harmonious melodies and shared lyrics, believers can cultivate a sense of belonging and unity within the body of Christ. Singing together in unity, Christians can embrace the richness of their faith and celebrate their shared belief in Christ. Listen, singing in worship serves as a powerful tool for edification. It allows believers to teach and admonish one another in wisdom. I've been in services where I've seen people come in that were visiting and the singing was really good. And they were looking around and they were just, wow, these people are serious about something here. They're serious about it. You know, I went to the so-and-so church and man, you know, they had the lights and they had the performance going on and they had all these things going and and it was kind of cool and everything, but man, when I walked in here, you guys are actually doing it. You guys are one. You guys are singing together. It's powerful. It's powerful to those who are Witnessing that for the first time. Voices blend in unity. And guess what happens? Differences begin to fade. And the focus shifts towards the exaltation of God Almighty. And not who? Ourselves. You got something against a brother, something against a sister, come to worship, try to sing in unity. not going to happen. You guys, you have to pull together. You have to work those differences out. Remember why we are here, why we are here. And through the collective lifting of voices, worshipers transcend individual concerns. And we unite in glorifying the Lord. In your workbook, ultimately, the practice of singing together. There's a a theme going on here. Singing together in worship reflects the unity of the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the what? Same thing. That there be no what? Divisions among you. But that you be perfectly what? Joined together in the same mind. And in the same judgment, the Apostle Paul is once again addressing the church at Corinth, urging them to be united in the mind and in judgment, emphasizing the importance of harmony within the body of the believers. This is very crucial. Very crucial. I, I think within churches today, and especially in this culture, we have got to, more than anything, look past our own desires. Our personal preferences. Get past that. And look at each other as a brother and sister in Christ. If you're, if you're, if you're doing that, you're on yourself. You're not on Him. Okay? He addresses this, the scriptural support for unity and. Worship reflects Paul's concern for the avoidance of divisions and factions within the church. And it highlights the needs for those believers to align their thoughts, their decisions, everything they do with the teachings of Scripture. Look, if there's a difference, let's go to the Scripture. Let's go to the source. What does the Bible say? Let's reason together. That's not what I think. It's what God says. And then we can both agree on that, right? Because we're both children of God. Worship is not just a personal experience, but it is a communal expression that should bring believers together in a shared understanding of God's Word. The phrase, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in that verse, emphasizes the centrality of Christ. He is the center. He is the unifying force. And that's reminding the believers that their worship should be directed toward a common purpose grounded in Christ's teachings. The body of Christ functions best when its members are bound together by a shared commitment to scriptural principles and the lordship of Christ. Again, this emphasizes the importance of maintaining the unity and the spirit of bond of the peace within the body of Christ. In your workbook, lastly, Christians, it reminds us here that Christians, that unity is not merely a human effort, but a spiritual reality to be preserved, protected, and nurtured. And you, know, you see divisiveness going on? you got to nip that. That's dangerous to the communal bond of the church. Unity is of high importance. We are called to strive for harmony and mutual understanding in our worship gatherings. And there must be a cooperation among us as worshipers to reflect God's desire for His people and to worship Him in one accord. I'm going to leave it with this. Charles Spurgeon underscores the importance of unity in worship. He says, Harmony is the very soul of music. Discord is an abomination. We have the sweetest fellowship with God. When our spirits are in harmony with Him and each other, each other. So we must sing with understanding. We must sing with gratitude, a heart of thankfulness. We must sing in awe and reverence, and we must sing with unity. Okay. All right. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much, God, for the many blessings that You've given us. Thank You for this opportunity that we've had to come and to gather and worship and and learn more about You and Your Word. And God, I pray this morning that uh, You would be in the hearts of each believer that is here in their minds, that uh, the Word of God does not return void. And God, that it will uh, take its effect as You will have it. We love You and we praise You and ask all these things in Your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.